Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. I want to start today by reading a story that's in John Ortberg's book called Soul Keeping, a book I'd really recommend. Listen to this beautiful story that he starts with. There was once a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam in it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as a keeper of the springs. He'd been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year the town council decided that they'd better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on the banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. Today we're talking about emotional well-being. But when it comes to talking about well-being, it's really your responsibility for yourself and me for myself. It's a rare thing and it's meant to be rare that someone will do it for you. You must do it for yourself. One of the statements that Jesus made when he was being questioned about how to gain eternal life, he said, first, you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then the second one he said is this, this is Matthew 22, 39. He says, you are to love your neighbour as yourself. Or one version just says, love your neighbour as you love God yourself. And there's a lot that's been said about loving yourself, about self-love. 
And sometimes we've been led to believe that that's another commandment, but it's not a commandment. There are two commandments that are found here. One is love God, the other is love your neighbour. The third, love yourself, is not a command. It's an assumption. Jesus was assuming, the command was, love your neighbour as you love yourself. He was assuming they would love themselves. Jesus assumed that, as does the Bible. It's part of human nature. It's part of being a human being that you will care for yourself and you will love yourself. This is how the Apostle Paul put it. This is Ephesians 5.29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. In loving ourselves, we care for ourselves. What we are looking at primarily when we look at well-being is how we can stay healthy in loving ourselves. Now let's just be clear, the loving of ourselves is not the end of the journey. The loving of ourselves is for a bigger purpose, ultimately, so that we might love God better and love our neighbour better. So loving of, if loving of self becomes the end goal, effectively that's idolatry and we don't want to do that. We want to live for a bigger reason. And today, as I'm focusing on emotional well-being, I want us to understand it's for a bigger reason than just for ourselves. It's that we may love God better and love our neighbour better. The reality is the area of our emotions that we're examining here is in the realm of the soul within a person. Our soul being, the soul part of us. And how we care for and nurture our souls will influence every other area of life. As we're, we're doing this series, you will find, and this should happen, that there's crossover because we're looking at the holistic view of what it is to be a human being and how to care for all of us, all parts of us, so there will be overlap in the areas we're looking at. It's also true to say that when we look at the care of our soul, it affects the other parts of our being. There's a saying in the Bible, isn't there? There's, there's a scripture verse that's, that, that the psalmist uh, shouts out, um, why are you downcast, O my soul? And his response, he answers his own question, is put your hope in God. So somehow he'd lost his hope. But another answer could be, why are you downcast, O my soul? It could be this, uh, I've got toothache. Because the physical part of me has an effect on the soul and the spirit side of me. And I'm saying that from experience because in lockdown, I had a toothache, a really horrible toothache, and there were no dentists open except for extraction. And even then, only if it was an absolute last-ditch attempt to deal with it. And so I had to go on antibiotics. But in that period, I went on three lots of antibiotics. This isn't to get you feeling sorry for me. But I was for three, four days, while I was getting in my system, maybe more, seven days, I was down in the dumps. The physical expect, uh, affected my soul, my emotions. I went on a bit of a downer. It could have been side effects to the um, antibiotics as well, but I think it was more the physical was affecting my soul. And it could be the other way around. It could be I'm downcast in soul, I've got a soul sickness, but it's affecting my 
physical being as well, because it's all related. Now, just to be clear, the Bible presents human beings, humanity, as a tripartite being. That just means there's three bits to us. A body, soul, and spirit. Let me read a verse that underscores that. Some, by the way, believe there's only two parts to us. Body, and in that soul and spirit is one and the same. It could be that, but I think it's more clearly three. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly and make your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Notice it's and, actually in the Greek it is an and word. It's that they are, there's this joining up that's there, but because they're separate, they'll all be presented and preserved complete without blame. Some, as I say, think there's only two, but I think it's better to say this, I like this little saying, we are a spirit that has a soul which lives in a body. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is living and operative, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even and dividing of soul and spirit. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she was, clearly seems to say that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. So in these last 10 minutes or so, I just want to explore what is the soul and how can we keep you healthy? Defining the soul is really not that easy. When you go to the Bible, the Bible talks about the soul as if we all understand what the soul is, which we do and yet we don't. I say it in that way because most people, and I say most nowadays, seem to have an awareness that there is something of an inner life that is beyond simply what you see physically that there is a spiritual, there is a soul side to us. But it's not easy to put words to define it, at least from a biblical definition. John Ortberg, whose book I mentioned, defines the soul in this way, and I, I like this. The soul, he writes, is the operating system of your life. Quoting Dallas Willard, he goes on to say, it is something like a program that runs a computer, you don't usually notice it until it messes up. Most would agree that the soul seems to integrate the mind, the will and the emotions. That it's to do with the decisions we make, it's to do with the discerning of decisions and it's to do with the decisions that we make why with the will but it's also to do with our, our, our desires, and I like to think of it in that way. The soul is what we use to decide, to discern and desire. And when it comes to the desires, the emotions, we must remember that God himself is a God who expresses emotions. Emotions are not wrong, though what we do with them can be. I was raised in a kind of church context where we didn't express our emotions. I remember I went to a, a, a concert, a, a, a first contemporary concert I'd ever been to. There was lights, there was a band, there was a drummer, there was guitars. And I came back and I told my youth pastor the next day, I didn't know how to find words to say. I just said, it felt so good. And I remember him saying to me, looked look at me straight in the eyes and he said, you don't feel good, lad. And what he was effectively saying is you're not meant to feel anything, especially in church, 
Don't you dare feel it's not allowed. Emotions are not wrong. What we do with them might be. They were described in the past as soulish or sensual, as if they shouldn't be expressed. If we don't identify and express our emotions, it will do us harm in our soul and maybe in our physical realm. Bible says this, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say that all anger is sin. There is what we call sometimes a righteous anger, but it mustn't lead to sin. It's where it leads that it can be negative, not the emotion itself. You are meant to feel. And there is a lot of sickness around that is rooted in a lack of expressing or identifying and then acting upon in the right manner those emotions. So I think there's a lot more soul sickness around than we know. Here's some suggestions that I would like to put before you, how we can keep our soul, our emotional side of us, healthy. Number one, this is a must. Remember, we're building a church, we're making disciples. This isn't just self-help stuff. This, so this first point is an absolute must. Number one, to keep your soul, your emotions healthy, come to Jesus. This is what Jesus himself said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, what the soul really desires is God. That is, the, it is this immaterial part of us that you might not be able to see, but the desire is for God. The soul desires God, and that is an emotional word, desire. The first time soul is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, 2 verse 7, The Lord formed man out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The unique, uniqueness of man is that we're made in the image and likeness of God. There is no one else on the planet like humanity. The other animals that are there are in a different category. We are in the image and likeness of God. And God breathed his nefesh, his spirit, his soul into us so that we became alive. We became a living soul. And the next thing we hear in Genesis is that humanity, mankind, man and woman, they have a relationship with God so that they walk with him in the cool of the day. And this is the language of relationship. You and I were made only to be healthy and whole from a relationship with God. And walking with God in the way it's described there in Genesis is all about relationship. Think about it. Lovers walk. Friends walk. Family walk. When you go for a walk with someone, at the end of that walk, you feel like you've related, you've connected. I was out on my bike the other day and I was in Fenditton, just going out to, towards uh, Cherry Hint on the other side of Fenditton. And there was, uh, it was quite a quiet road and there was a couple, a, a lady and a little girl, I assumed it was her daughter anyway, walking along, holding hands, and they were doing this, shaking their hands, and they were just singing 
And I thought, oh, they'll stop when they see me coming. They didn't even notice me. They were so caught in their song and in their joy that they just carried on regardless. I think at the end of that walk, they would have been refreshed somehow from their time together. And I just want to say to us, can we walk with God? See, I'm trying this, and I just want to tell you, I have failed miserably, but I'm working on this. To not just have a quiet time, though do it, have a time with God every day, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever you want to do. But you know what? There's another 23 hours and 30 minutes of a day. And I'm trying to conjure my mind, if that's the right word, into this awareness. God is with me. I am walking with God. You know, it says of the disciples at one time, it said it was noted that they'd been with Jesus. Just being with Jesus will make all the difference. Here's what I've discovered. I cannot adequately, adequately deal with my emotions or understand my emotions without having Jesus alongside me to guard me and keep me and correct me and teach me. We need him. Let's walk with God. This is what Jesus says again. What good will it be, this is Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? John Orberg points out, this isn't a verse about destination. We think this is all about hell. Maybe you can lose your soul in life because you don't live healthily and whole. Orberg writes this, to lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy centre that organises and guides my life. I'm a car without a steering wheel. It doesn't matter how fast I go because I'm a crash waiting to happen. I'll guarantee you this, 100%. If you hang out with Jesus, you'll learn to laugh, cry, mourn, get angry righteously, enjoy the presence of kids, because if kids don't restore your soul, there's something wrong with you. They're a joy to be around, and Jesus loved being around children. He wasn't condemning to those that were sinners, he welcomed them in. There was something beautiful about him. Read the Gospels. And it's possible. Is it possible? Of course it's possible that we can become like that if we will walk with Jesus. It may mean slowing down, by the way. But if it's to be with Jesus, it's worth getting somewhere a little bit, taking a little bit longer to get there than just rushing and losing your soul in the process. My second point, which has got four sub-points to it, is simply this. If you um, remember, some of you, and, and you might find it on our YouTube channel or on Vimeo, we had a guy come in to speak with us a few uh, years ago, it might be now, called Roger Bretherton. Roger is a, a, a psychologist, and he's done a lot of research into emotional well-being and character development. And he talked about four things, which I'm just going to mention as I close. I'm not going to go into any detail. There are four things that are good to practice. Maybe not every day. Maybe see these four things as a menu that you choose from rather than a list that you have to fulfill. And he talked about this. Number one, expressing gratitude. He, he said, an emotionally healthy person appreciates what they have. 
I've just come from my house where we're doing a lot of work at home. And I'm going to make a confession to you. When we've had all this work done, and it's our kitchen, it's a total refurb of the kitchen. It's painting all the cabinets, plastering the ceiling, new lights, new colours, new floor, new handles, everything's changed. I'm going to tell you this. I am not going to be any happier than I am now when it's finished. How do I know that? We've had new stuff before. I've had new cars and new houses and new bicycles and new clothes, you, you name it. And none of them have made me happier than I was before. It's not going to make me any happier at all. And yet there's often this drive in us, or what is known as the hedonic treadmill. This is what Roger talked about. I looked it up so I understood it from Wikipedia. And it's the hedonic treadmill is also known as hedonic adaption. It's observed tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or life changes. According to this theory, as a person makes more money, expectations and desires rise in tandem, which results in no permanent gain in happiness. You won't get more happy by gaining more. Rather, be grateful for what we have. Express our gratitude every single day. The Bible says it this way, be thankful to God in all circumstances, good and bad, and your emotional health will grow. It doesn't mention that, but it does say this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe write a letter of gratitude to someone today before the day's out. I had one recently, handwritten. It restored my soul, never mind the person that wrote it. Maybe before you go to bed, and this has scientifically been researched, thank, write three things down. I say, thank God that you're thankful for that day. And studies show that people who do this are healthier emotionally, healthier emotionally and physically. Number two, hope. An emotionally healthy person believes for a better future. Christians, if we're nothing else, must be people of hope. Everything seems to be falling apart. But we have a hope in a God. Read Revelation 21. Go on, just go to it and let it stoke your hope and watch your emotional health grow as you remember we have a God who is in control. This old earth is groaning, but we have a hope in a God to restore all things. Three, endurance. An emotionally healthy person makes suffering okay. This is what Roger calls normalization, the act of making it normal. The art of suffering usefully. If you have that view that as a Christian you'll never suffer, the problem is when you do, you get angry at the situation as well. So you're twice worse off. You're in a bad situation and you're angry because you think you shouldn't be allowed. No, we have to look in the suffering of how it can be turned good so that we don't become bitter, but we become better people. Endurance. Last one. Kindness. Roger said, an emotionally healthy person is never too cool to be kind. Kindness is love in action. As I say, you don't have to do all these every day. Choose a day to be kind. Join up with our uh, uh, Love Your Neighbour uh, work that we do, C3 Impact. Volunteer in some area. Say, this is my day of kindness. And watch how it affects you in all areas of life. Not a list. Just some things 
that you can choose from. Maybe look at this as a way you can be curious. How can I grow in my emotional health by maybe being kind, accepting suffering is there and growing through it, being grateful for all that I'm involved in and raising our hope levels and see how your emotional health grows. I think you'll be a better person for it. Let me close and pray for you as we finish. Father, for everyone who is listening and watching today, I pray that they will know what it is to live in the fullness of life that you have promised, that includes our emotions. I pray pray that we'll be able to say, it is well with our soul. That we'll learn to laugh heartily, to cry deeply, to mourn and have compassion. That we'll be people of endurance and of hope. That our emotions won't be suppressed, but that we'll express them and stay healthy and strong. Living the full life that you intended. And above everything else, I pray that we'll be people of your presence. That we will practice the presence of God. That we'll turn our minds morning, noon and night and every time in between to an awareness that we are walking with God and that God is with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you. Thank you.